Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored for your business needs. Specializing in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. To elevate your business, visit ajproducts.ie. It's Friday, February the 16th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics Wrap of the Week from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, Jack Horgan-Jones and Cormac McQuinn are here to discuss the events and the issues of the week. Hello to you both. Good afternoon, Hugh. Hello, Hugh. Cormac, you had the pleasure, as did I, of observing three and a half hours of testimony before the Oireachtas Media Committee in relation to... Which scandal are we on now or which report are we on now? Report number five, scandal number seven, largely dealing with uh, the fallout from the toy show, the musical debacle and parting payments to the former chief financial officer. It did go on a bit, didn't it? It did. I mean, the TDs like and, and senators for that matter like their moment in the in the sun and uh, RT has provided them with several opportunities for that over the last few months uh, given all the controversies that have happened. This is, is probably probably unless unless some of the witnesses that decline to attend you know have a change of heart this is probably the last gasp for the for the politicians to uh, to have public hearings on on all of these things so it's not too surprising that they may have milked it a bit and the, and the meeting went on uh, quite a long time to give them some credit, though, there was some new information for the public there. You know, for instance, there, there's there been a lot of speculation in recent months as to what the exit package was for Orty's former chief financial officer, Breed O'Keefe. Kevin Backhurst put the figure on it, €450,000, audible gasps within the committee room. It, it is, it's a, having, it's a having big Having first demurred as well, which I thought was good. He first said, no, I can't, I couldn't possibly. Yes. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. exactly dragged out of him. That was, was interesting. What did you make of that? The fact that he said no and then he said yes. I don't, I, like, I don't know. I thought it was weird in the moment. Um, yeah. And I thought that, like, I mean, look, I'm sure you could find some kind of technical explanation as to why this is the case. Well, I but, think the explanation he gave from it, because he was, he was pressed hard later, once an, another piece of information which came out was that there had been an exit package paid to the head of strategy, Rory Coveney. Yeah. That was not information we'd seen previously. And he refused to divulge that sum. And I think I recall him saying that he, he was in a position to divulge Breed O'Keefe's payment because she had already uh, acknowledged it. She had already acknowledged I, the existence of the public, payment? No, that she had already acknowledged the sum. That was my understanding of his explanation. Right, okay. Uh, I, maybe, I, maybe, I wasn't maybe aware that she wrong, had acknowledged the, the, the sum. But certainly the first I time I'd heard 450000 because one of the things that did strike me and I wasn't I wasn't watching it as closely as you guys because I wasn't covering it, but it did strike me that it was weird that he seemed to create this kind of dogleg between, you know, admitting under very small amounts of duress exactly the sum that was involved for Brady O'Keefe, but holding the line on on Rory Coveney and saying absolutely, absolutely not. And potentially others. And I potentially mean, others. So then that kind of unspooled into, like, as is the nature of this scandal or this series of scandals or saga. It's probably a saga at this stage, is it? Um, it's definitely a saga. It's definitely a saga. Uh, you know, it just kind of keeps giving and keeps 
And Minister they say Catherine Martin itself was into talking more to him afterwards, and we're well, he he's, said he's, he's would go given back to the lawyers. An undertaking to uh, to get yeah. updated legal advice, which I suspect um, will be the exact. Which thing. is exactly, it, we still can't reveal these details. It, yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, maybe that that will be the end of it. But the politicians are like a dog with a bone on this thing, aren't they? So it's there will be pressure over the, the next while on on the on certainly Rory Coveney's exit package, but uh, potentially others as well, because there have been a number of departures from RTE in the last in the last year or so. So. What what are we to make of all this? If this is the last one, mm, what are we to make we've said of? That before. Yeah, we have said that before. Well, and the, and, the public and accounts committee aren't finished their deliberations on whether they might have RT back in as well. But uh, they'll they'll need special but permission to do that. But as many people pointed out, the big missing bit at the moment are the people who have not appeared before the committee. Primarily, first and foremost, the former director general D Forbes, who has been uh, says she is unable to make herself available for for medical reasons. Uh, she's by far the most significant one. But even to have Rory Coveney there yesterday, I think would have been rather useful, given that there was so much focus uh, on Toy Show the musical, and there was. Um, it was clear to me that some of the people who were there from RTE were not very happy with the way this had been handled by Rory Coveney and in fact you know, went right up to the line of saying that, that you know, they had been misled. Yeah, which is the risk of, of not turning up. I mean, if you look at it from Rory Coveney's point of view, uh, what would be the percentage in him going? I mean, he's he's gone before he was interrogated over Toy Show the Musical and so on when he was an employee of RTE. He then resigned. Uh, he was invited back in, but he's now, for all intents and purposes, a, a private citizen. So why would he go? The risk then in not going is that you do kind of open yourself up to the possibility of being thrown under the under the the next passing bus during the during the the committee sessions. You know, so you, on the other hand, you also you ask why would he go? He'd go because he was a public servant for ten years, and under his watch, something happened, which is a legitimate subject of public inquiry and concern. You'd go for that reason. How very idealistic of you, Hugh. <laughs> but also, you might end up drawing a line under the whole thing, and. Were, were he so inclined, he could say, my exit package was such and such, however many thousand euros, and that's the end of that yeah, story. That, you know, is, that is the reason that you... It's you, another reason to go. To, to, to stop the bleeding. And, and if, if he did want to kind of stop the bleeding, rip off the band-aid, whatever construction you want to put in it, he could, he could come out at any stage and say it. And like we were saying, myself and Cormac in the office during the week, like, I mean, Simon Coveney probably asked about this, you know, like this is something that might just kind of keep on... Simon Coveney, obviously, Roy Coveney's brother, um, might just kind of keep on just kind of bleeding and, you know, until there's a full stop put at the end of that or sentence. Or there's the other option open, open to, to those who didn't attend, which is submit the, the written uh, yeah. the written answers to the committees. Those answers, I can assure you, will find their way into the public domain uh, or they'll be discussed in an, open, uh, in an open session of a committee. And that's the other thing. It's, 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 not, it's not a good look unless there are genuine reasons to not be to not be engaging at this point. The other thing I, I, I wonder about this is the broader picture of there's been a lot of talk about the culture of RTE, undue deference to to the chief executive or the director general, perhaps a culture of going around processes or not following processes properly or indeed possibly misleading people and that goes all right back to the original Tuberty payments thing which which kicked all of this off. But because these key individuals are not present one is kind of forced to accept that the culture resided with those three individuals, with those small number of individuals. But I wonder about that. It's not really you know? how culture works. Though, no, it, and right? a culture doesn't work like that. But so they function as a kind of a dead end on the investigation. Mm. It would seem to me, looking at it, that the culture, cultural problems in RT ran a lot 
deeper than one or two individuals who happen to be in certain jobs yes, for the last five or six years. Th- thankfully, we have yet another report coming into, oh, into oh, the culture, the many, culture of our team. Many more reports, Stu. There's the two expert group commission yeah. reports for the, for the government. There's uh, presumably the media committee will do a report. The, the public accounts yeah. committee was nearly finished their report when the, when the two other reports on Toy Show the Musical and the exit packages were published. Uh, so... That's going to be another one. So that's that's four reports anyway coming down the line. I mean, this this yeah. is not going away anytime soon. But one of the things that I found funny this week as well, I'd like unless I'm, I'm misremembering, one of the Catherine Martin commissioned reports is is into the culture of RT and the the profit reason as to why the government haven't made a decision on the RT future funding model is because they're waiting for these reports into the culture. I mean, does a report into the culture and governance of RT necessarily enable you all of a sudden to make a funding decision? I mean, are they not kind of formally separate things? And also the existence of a report on the culture of RT, it doesn't actually change the culture of RT overnight. I mean, like if it comes out and says the culture of RT is rotten from from top to bottom and it isn't rooted in any individual and, you know, there needs to be a total overhaul of the culture. Like, can you then in good faith go ahead and say, right, okay, on that basis, let's make a big decision on the future funding model? Is the likely outcome or at least the likely fig leaf which will be given to the government when it comes to, and we'll come to this question of of, of the funding in a moment, is that there will almost certainly arising out of that be some sort of recommendations for new forms of oversight of the way that RTE does its business. They've already brought it in under a new era. There's talk about, you know, other other elements of the state having an oversight role changing if you like the structures of the of the relationship between the state and, and it may, and the it may also and this is just a pet theory I'm not, I'm not basing this on any 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 kind of uh you know behind the scenes chat or anything like that but it may provide the 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 kind of reason for a big dramatic gesture like just get rid of the board you know something like that right okay well that, that might do it. i mean it does bring us to i mean there's a huge irony here it seems to me because i've written about RT over the years in one capacity or another which is that the, the previous regime, the chair, Moya Doherty, and the DG, D Forbes, spent five or six years literally banging their heads off the wall of Leinster House trying to argue for exactly the changes, mm. which now seem to be actually the, the subject of real debate, and they failed to do so. And now, as a result of the catastrophic events during the final years of their regime, those things are finally be taken seriously. So in a way, fair play to them. They got where they wanted to get to with RG's funding. It was actually an interesting exchange early on in the committee meeting on Wednesday where uh, Fine Gael TD Brendan Griffin was challenging uh, Kevin Backhurst on why he stopped uh, paying for advertising to outside platforms, so presumably other radio stations, TV uh, other TV channels, on the licence fee, on encouraging people to pay the licence fee. And, and Backhurst was insisting was because it would have been tone deaf to be demanding the people pay the fee at the time to- at the time when Orty was in the midst of, of controversies. But Griffin went further and suggested that uh, you know it might have been part of a, a strategy to allow the license fee revenues to collapse. Now Backhurst catalogically denied that, but you know it does speak to that, that irony of the the overhaul of the license fee system that Orty has always wanted may well now happen because of all of this disaster that has befallen the national broadcaster. So it was very notable to me at the committee meeting that apart from the the, the First Sinn Féin contribution, which was from Imelda Munster, the the later ones from um, from uh, Fintan Warfield and I think Thomas Gould, um, barely, were barely questions at all. They were just putting out the new Sinn Féin party line, which which was presented this week, which is about the solution to this problem is to move immediately uh, forthwith to direct exchequer funding and to let everybody off who hasn't paid their license fee. Mm. 
Um, well, did did they did they? I, and again, I defer to you guys. But did they, did they talk about the amnesty that much in the committee? Because by that stage, it was already imploding a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, not the amnesty so much. It, it was more the the direct exchequer funding. Is the amnesty funding. a political mistake? Yeah, big absolutely. One, I, think so, yeah. I mean, it's don't get away from the fact that the majority of people still pay their TV license, and that is infuriating to people if you say, oh, well, okay, if you didn't pay, um, you know, that's that's all right, we're giving you an amnesty. You know, the majority of people still forked out that €160 Euro every year. It's it's it, it, it perhaps a bit of a, a sign of, of panic within Sinn Féin at, at the, the this net, something of a trend now in falling poll numbers as, as the local elections approach. It's a very much, uh, you know, here's here's an idea that'll be popular in some in some sections uh, but uh, but it might might do anything to grow their support yeah. do you agree with that i do yeah 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 very much so because um they put down the motion uh for debate on i think it was tuesday and you know it was a fairly pro forma way to kind of move the agenda on to a discussion of RTE and put the government under pressure over the handling of it and various inadequacies and so on. There was no need, I think, to put in this amnesty mm. thing. Like, it's, it's tot- it was totally superfluous and it immediately offered the government a foothold oh, to, to, to shift the narrative on. Gleeful on, yeah. Gleeful and, 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 the, and, the, and it was Tuesday morning, Leah Varadkar on his way into Cabinet. Actually, I think Monday night they started putting out this statement about, you know, this is a slap in the face to people who have paid their licence fee. So they, they recognised the opportunity straight away and paid with the ball around from it. and it's just it kind of like it 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 just took the sheen off the whole Sinn Féin strategy for the week when it came to RTE they had to kind of quietly if not ditch it then certainly not emphasise it as much later on in the week during the debates and, and during the committee appearances uh, and it just kind of it reminds me a little bit of uh, to use a footballing analogy like you know when a striker is short on confidence and they scuff their shot in front of goal like oh. everything can get kind of line and you still contrive a way to, to kind of make it less than it should be. So this is because of a number of events not least the our opinion poll last week which showed a, a substantial fall in Sinn Féin support. That's a trend right? I mean like it's kind of in a Across a number of polls. Across a number yeah, of polls yeah. Um, and it's something that we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago you know maybe the the saliency of the housing issue is not quite what it was even though it still seems to be an overriding concern when people rank their concerns I think like there's not too many news cycles that are taken over by housing these days and they um, didn't handle the aftermath of the Dublin riot well they didn't handle the aftermath of the Dublin riot well look like there's there's a kind of you know there's a there's a stock you know critique of, of Sinn Féin at the moment which which says that they're struggling on immigration because the base is more conservative than the kind of more recent Arab East um, parts of, of their, their voting support Um and I think that that you know you're just seeing an expression of that at the moment. But it, right? it was a it was a fluffing of what should have been an open goal for them in a way. I mean, call for exchequer funding for the license fee. It's a classic opposition yeah. call for something that you, you know is probably coming down the line anyway. And yeah. then you could say, oh well, we looked for that. Yeah. And, and uh, also happens and to be happen- like at, at the absence of a charge on households. You know, like in the round, people pay through taxes. But sure, I mean, yeah. you wouldn't have to pay your your TV license fee. So. so, can I get some insight? If an insight is available into what what state the debate is really at, are we going to get a decision from this government? on funding public service broadcasting and is it tending, as it looks to me from looking from the outside, it is a little bit more towards the direct funding model than it was a few months ago? One thing, I mean, it's one thing that struck me during the week was uh, Leo Varadkar was talking about the various options during leaders' questions and uh, aside from the options that are there, 
one being exchequer funding or, you know, another being a, a broadcasting charge. None of them are particularly palatable. But aside from that, he, he said, we'll be making a decision on that in the coming weeks. And then he said, or the coming months, just to give yeah. that little bit of yeah. leeway on timing. You know, um, will there be a decision before the local elections? Well, that would be very curious to see a, a new a new form of tax or or broadcasting charge or whatever they decide to land on is not going to be terribly popular for the for the government parties as as people go to the polls. You know, we know that Catherine Martin's been talking about the summer. Now, the summer could be yeah. the summer before the local elections in June or it could be... August, some, the yes, end of August. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it, it's certainly something... They keep talking about where the government is going to grasp the nettle. Well, the, you know, if they're actually going to do it, they will have to do it before an election. It's, it's going to be a where question of which one... the two finance and finance-related ministers, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath, stand on it. They seem to be the ones, have seemed to be the ones who are most publicly opposed to yeah, and the really significant that, that, that's change. That's a function of their briefs as well, I think. Um, they, they don't want to find €150 million euro odd every year totally. as they're looking for hundreds of millions for other things elsewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I suspect that ultimately they'll row in behind their respective leadership positions and there's been some reporting that Varadkar, um, the Taoiseach, has been, is, is, you know, leaning towards a... Uh, exchequer funding model, although he was he was quite critical of an exchequer funding model in in the doll this week, which may have been in, in service of a political point because he was saying I wouldn't I wouldn't trust the shaders basically to to, to run it, um, but if he does, I suspect Pascal Donahue will will row in line behind that. But Michal Martin has been very clear that he doesn't favour it um, to to the extent that it would be kind of hard for him to walk it back. And he says from here, that one of the reasons, McGrath, I'd say, instinctively, yeah, and he says he institutionally, favor, the Department of Finance would he doesn't favour so. it because he thinks it would bring he favours the arm's length relationship. Yeah, and he thinks that this would this would undermine that. And yeah. you know, God knows, we look around the world, just look at you know coverage of what's been happening in Poland over the last while. You yeah. know, terrible things can happen when governments get their claws I too suspect, closely I suspect into we will, we will public end, service. We will end up, you know, where either. You know, it something goes to the leaders on a Monday night, or some version of that. The leaders meeting on Monday night, and they thrash it out. And if they can't get an agreement there, then it'll be just kicked to touch. <laughs> I think. I think. So you still think there's reasonable odds that it will be kicked to touch, and they won't do anything before I wouldn't the end of this? I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it. I mean, it would be the situation now where if it were kicked to touch, it would be deeply embarrassing for Catherine Martin amongst everyone else who has made a big, put a big political stamp on, you know being the government that grasps the nettle. That's the phrase that she keeps on using. But um, at, like at what cost? And if you can't achieve a consensus or, you know, a serviceable fudge, Do what you know, options I mean, are there? And isn't that the, the pragmatic thing almost to do if they can't reach a consensus, you know, go go to the, you know, it wouldn't be the issue they go to the country on. But, no, no. But, uh, but if, if they have an earlier election, they can say, well, you know, there, there's... We're we're on the way out the door. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be uh, making this decision. It's up for the, up to the next government, and uh, people might say that's cowardly or whatever. <laughs> but, might but, people, <laughs> but people but uh, people people would also not care pretty yeah, pretty soon yeah. after that, and and but would probably be happy when there's no new tax coming at least before before yeah. this like you know. So it's and, also, and then yeah. the parties would all be for, forced to. Uh, put in their manifestos there's, what they there's, would do. There's probably a threshold as well on how much people care about this story anymore. Although, I was saying that at the start of this week and then the 450,000 thing came out and it was genuinely, I think, a matter of public interest and interest to the public. Um, but I do think that you have a point that like, at some point people will stop caring 
um, which opens up the space for a cake to touch or a fudge. But, you know, they would have to back away mm. from their um, stated intentions. You could get uh, 20 years of TV licence fees out of the cost of the Children's Hospital, which now uh, officially stands have at 2.3 yeah. billion. Okay. 20 years of, of, yeah, it would be, it would be about 120 uh, million Fair a enough. year or thereabouts, you know. Um, so you get a single building with 380 hospital beds for um, for children, which yeah, is obviously very welcome when it opens. Centers. But not at that price. No. Um, I mean... I'm tempted to I'm tempted to uh, utter an explicit but JFC. Yeah. Uh, how the, how did it come to this? Oh, I don't know. There's a book in that, isn't there? I think um, Jared Harlan had a, a piece in, 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 on our opinion page today, which kind of set out his his take on how how it came to that. Yes, and it's um, very interesting breakdown of the the, 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 the whole process and the and how the the pediatric hospital development board has has basically been put there as a, a mudguard for for politicians and and civil servants uh, to to uh, to to get this thing over the line, which this thing that has been beset by delays and difficulties and spiralling costs and and by no means is that 2.2 billion necessarily going to be the, the final figure. You know, there are still uh, active claims by the developer against uh, against the uh, against the development board in terms of, of extra costs that they feel they, they should be entitled to. And there's uh, kind of complications in terms of the various current children's hospitals which they have to feed into this new structure and sure, staffing yeah, it they, and they, making they all that to, stuff work. They have to merge three hospitals into mm. one and that's, that's not necessarily going to be a, a smooth process. I, I did a, a kind of a a uh, calculation for the the fix um, with newsletter that we do on a Friday, which you know the Pediatric Hospital Development Board was set up in two thousand and seven. So a child born that year will be eighteen by the time the hospital opens in twenty twenty five, meaning they will never have the benefit of that aside from their own children in in years to come. You know, it it takes a, an entire generation of children to get something done in this country by the looks of it. You know, uh, we've seen that the children's hospital. We've seen it in uh, Metro Metro Link Metro North that sort of thing. It's 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 been a, a, quite a, a sorry tale, really, when you think about it. Albeit at the very end of it, there will be a state of the art facility, which you know everyone will be happy with when it's built. But we're not quite. Are we, there are we yet. particularly bad at this? Well, compared this, to other countries. So how how do we get here? Is the question they asked, and there's basically kind of two answers to that. It's it's one, this is what happens to mega projects, and I think that there's probably a reasonable body of scholarship out there that suggests that you know not necessarily constricted to Ireland, the mega projects tend to go over time and over budget. And then there's another totally contrary school of thought, which is that this happens in Ireland and to this hospital because of fecklessness, indifference, state waste, government, you know, poor decision making on behalf of government and, you know, incompetence on behalf of the kind of... (laughs) As, as in all these things, somewhere in the middle, <laughs> the foot in the fudge zone, it, but elements of both are probably true. You know, mm. um, I think that and, and actually to give them a little, little bit of credit, but not too much. But there has been issues. There was the ill-fated attempt to put it in the matter site, which was refused yeah, yeah. by on board Panala. There was several months of construction halt during COVID. Yeah. Uh, there was there was the economic crash, which probably delayed things as well from the time that they originally you know were planning this thing. So, but. There is also I think I can have a span a of history, so a very, yeah. a very badly designed, uh, you know, procurement process yeah. and and yes. planning process as well. I you think know, I can so. accept all that, but at three times the original projected cost is a little bit more. I mean, yeah. I, I find myself yeah. trying to shape this stuff into some more. This, the scale is so large. I start, yeah. I start thinking about. 
what, know, what, the, what the can kitchen I get extension we did, billion, we did yeah. you know and and that there's, there's a whole debate for... about the location and you know it's, it's city centre site is it's kind of confined uh, difficult enough to, to build in you know not necessarily the best location for parents either as it went that the debate went on for years but did that add to the cost as well you know they, this this it's been it's been you and know, is the there, of 20 I noticed years a, a letter of, of in today's thing. Irish Times from somebody pointing out that Dennis O'Brien uh, relieved himself of the Beacon Hospital which yes. is a private hospital uh, on the, in the south of the city for 400 million I think was the price and if you looked at the cost per bed now it's probably not a like-for-like like comparison at all and there are probably all kinds of facilities which are required in, in, yeah, in this new do, hospital do what they want, yeah. but still the price per bed difference was pretty extraordinary it was about five times as much in the children's is this hospital a version, Is this a version of the give it to Michael O'Leary let Michael O'Leary run the, run the government let Dennis O'Brien run the HSE I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making any comment whatsoever <laughs> on, uh, on, on that I, th- I, th- I think that the thing about the children's hospital like standing now probably in the last kind of 10% of this saga because at, at some point the last brick will be laid and the thing will be commissioned and children will go into it and it will become much less of a thing but there's no kind of saving it from a political point of view now it's like a, it's a signifier of state or governmental inefficiency it's a it's a political sunken cost that was writing during the week so like the best you can hope for now is that you get it open before the before the general election. I was talking mm. to someone. Uh, That's not going to happen. So no, no, I don't think so. It's not. Gonna and, happen. and I was talking to someone uh, who was involved at a senior level in the whole process during the week, and I was like, "Ah, you know, Taoiseach Mary Lou Macdonald opening the the children's hospital." And they're just like, "Please, no, no, don't say that." That well, would Jared be the worst. Does make but the like, point. Does make the point that this, you know clearly inefficient structure which was set up to deliver it did achieve one of its purposes which it kind of insulated the politicians from it so a number of ministers for health uh, including Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris are sort of detached four, from it four governments yeah. since since mm. this thing was mooted and actually it, the, the idea of a single children's hospital was first was first mooted in the 1990s but if we're since since things got serious about it it, it encompassed the the Fianna Fáil Green government it, it, you know Finnegale Labour, minority Finnegale, now the now the current coalition. You know, everyone's have has their paws on this to to some degree, exception Fane actually. Uh, so there would be a, a, an irony if it was a, a Taoiseach Mary Lou Macdonald that ended up opening this thing and and had the chance to kick the other parties at, at the same time. Opened by a Sinn Fein government. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there for the moment. We'll be back after this. AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored exclusively for your business needs. Spanning offices, warehouses, industries, workshops, schools and public spaces. Specialising in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. Our offerings include versatile storage solutions and comprehensive office project design and implementation. With over 45 years of experience, we stand as your trusted partner in smart B2B solutions. To explore all we have to offer, visit ajproducts.ie and elevate your business with AJ Products. And you're very welcome back. The Social Democrats are holding their annual conference this weekend. What kind of shape are the Social Democrats in? Uh, yeah, they're okay. Yeah, they're pretty pretty cheerful about themselves going into this. Talking, I've a uh, piece in uh, tomorrow's paper, Saturday's paper uh, interview with Holly Cairns and kind of looking at the the state of the party as it goes into its first national conference slash you know what we'd normally understand to be an Ardesh. Um, 
since she was installed as leader. And I think it's first uh, in-person one uh, for quite a while. I think they had one during COVID. But um, they're, they're, they're feeling relatively cheerful about themselves and, so got, and about the world. They got the a bit of a pole bounce they got, they, well, they, got, they got a serious pole bounce yeah. in March just after Holly Cairns was installed as leader. They went up to 9% in one poll. Uh, that was reflected in our, in our own poll of June, I think, 2023. They went up to 5%. I mean, since then, they haven't demonstrated any degree of that being a kind of permanent situation um, and depending on what poll you look at they kind of roughly split in two two of the pollsters kind of have them serially in and around five or above and two of them including ourselves have them more in the kind of two to four to five bracket but based on the evidence of our polling you know there's nothing to suggest that they're kind of consistently in the five five plus bracket that would credibly put them in the space of being you know at least on the evidence of polling the the leader of that kind of smaller group of left parties um Basically neck and neck, or They're basically neck well and neck. within They're, yeah. the you know the margin of error. Yeah, yeah but yeah. but that being said, they they are they consider themselves to be in a relatively good position. Um, for a couple of reasons, some of them structural because they obviously had a, a very strong twenty twenty general election, returning six TDs. That meant that they got a lot more resources, financial and otherwise. They consider themselves to be more organised now. They have a new Gen Sec in. Uh, they consider themselves to have a lot more resources for planning for the local and Europeans, and ultimately for the general. They're running, I think, in every in every European constituency. Uh, they're going to run in as many locals as possible. But like, they don't really have well, they don't have any contenders in the European elections, do they? Uh, well, I mean, their bailiwick really is, is the East Coast and Dublin. So, I mean, you'd have to say that Dublin is their best best shout. Um, and Sinead Gibney, the former uh, Chief Executive of the Human Rights and Equality Commission, looks likely to be the candidate there. Uh, you know, it's kind of a situation where, not to dwell too long on the Dublin question, but whoever of the Green Labour uh, SOC Dem managed to stay ahead of the other two, there'd probably be a path for them maybe to a seat. But So there's a centre-left vote there. We'd yeah. have to unseat Claire Daly somehow, though, you know, and be competing with Sinn Féin. Who they would, yeah, exactly. So it's, not, it's, not, it's, 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 it's far from it's a gimme for any of those small yeah. parties, but whichever of the three of them is ahead of the other two, but I the think. the three still. of those are really head-to-head against each other, aren't they? they? Are, Labour, yeah. Labour, Labour, Social Democrats and, and Greens and will be fighting for they are. for the last seat or the second-to-last seat in a lot of constituencies. Yeah, and this, and this to, to, to bring it back to, to you know, the, the mood of the party or the challenge of the face of the party now, notwithstanding how how enthusiastic they are, you would have to have one eye on the polling, which hasn't been stellar, uh, or at least hasn't kind of consolidated that immediate kind of hollyhop, as people called it. Um, but now is kind of their chance to to transform the success of 2020 into something more lasting. So how do they the, do that? Well, they win, they win more seats. They just have to win more seats. Like, I mean, they have to... Do they, they have to tell a more convincing story of what it is to be a social, like in a very fragmented uh, political landscape, yeah, what it is maybe. to be a social democrat. Well, but, well, maybe, maybe not. Like, I mean, that's certainly a kind of bubble level criticism that they can be a little bit um, woolly about, you know, what is what is particularly special about the social democrats and that they prefer to to focus more tightly on the social democrats is change and the social democrats is, yeah, it's, is, it's, is hope it, and enthusiasm it, it, it and trust. It often and, boils down to the social democrats is not Labour Party that took part in that austerity government that everyone didn't like. Yeah. You know, that's, less which is not, not necessarily a p- is, compelling is call to voters you know? Well, we'll find out. And, and sorry, they, they, I'm sure yeah, okay. we're, we're the Social Democrats all here. They'd say we have loads of policies, and they do. But like, you know, if you were to distill the message down, you know, there is that kind of maybe bit of wooliness. We, we, we will find out if that's enough in the eyes of voters, you know, to, to translate into more seats. And if it is, then maybe they can propel themselves uh, beyond and into the kind of next level and become a, a, a serious um, a serious 
player when it comes to you know the next government and so information given, and and but there, there's a lot of conditionals there and then there's the question of like I was asking Holly Cairns the day before yesterday when I interviewed her you know how seriously you're being in government she was like absolutely we want to be in government well, you know, exactly but the question what is what kind of what yeah. kind of yeah. like when that comes to pass and everyone sits in after the next general election there will be a protracted process of everyone talking to everyone how long do they stay in what kind of purity tests do they set do they set for being involved in a government or do they kind of say right we're, we'll be a bit like the greens you know we'll we'll get along with a lot of stuff if we get three or four signifier kind of things um i suspect that they might be a little more on the kind of on the purity test end of things but look it remains to be seen. Uh, I think the the, the point I mean, is the, the point the point is that the, the, yeah. the time is now to either to either kind of move on to the next level well, or indeed, you're just kind of in the pack. Given that the party, I'm over slightly oversimplifying the nature of how the party came about, but it largely came about by people who were dissatisfied um, at the start with with Labour's performance in government and the excessive concessions as they saw them to Fine Gael. Yeah, I mean, including the two, two of their own TDs, Inclu- yes, former including former including yes, members. absolutely two. Well, two, there are two former leaders were, were former members and of, Keen, the, Keen of the Labour Party. Was a Labour Party member at some point. So so that's what they were, and there was always been that dynamic within what used to be a single party, which was Labour, you know, a coalition, anti-coalition kind of a thing. So in a way that's manifested itself into an individual party at this point. I suppose one of the things I wonder is, you know, Labour in the olden days when you had the two and a half party system had about 10% of the vote at least. Mm. They could kind of count on that. Mm. And that's there now, except it's split between two parties. And and mean that 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 kind of part of the political spectrum ends up being badly served in terms of the seats you get in the end? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a perennial question as well as to whether they whether they'll they'll kind of merge. And and I did ask that. It's, of, it's, of, they hate uh, being asked. They, 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 they hate like it was a one word. It was a one word answer. I said, yeah. "Is your is your is your thinking of moving?" It was two word answer. Is, is your thinking both, evolving, not evolving? Both no. Labour and the Social Democrats have the same problem as well in terms of will they get even half their seats back after the next election? You know, the, all of these smaller left parties yeah. have relied on personalities within certain constituencies. In the Social Democrats' case. Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall would probably be solid if they if they run again and they say their intention is to run again but you know they, they are of, of a of different generation you know they they if if they might decide to, to bow out uh, Holly Cairns by no means guaranteed Definitely. to get her seat back yeah. it's Cork South West is not traditional uh, left wing territory um, you know Jennifer Whitmore is in a smaller Wicklow constituency than than previously. It's going to be the constituency of death. Uh, the next election, mm-hmm. the only one, in fact, that has a has a has a maybe an easy enough path back to re-election is Keno Callan in Dublin Bay North. You have two sitting TDs there saying they're they're leaving. Richard Bruton and uh, Sean Hawhey. Eon O'Reardon, if he got elected for the European Parliament for Labour, would mean there's three seats free in a in a five seat constituency. So you know he he's got perhaps the easiest path, although he wouldn't thank anyone for saying it to re-election. But like similar on the Labour side, they they all have risky seats, you know. So that's 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 a big problem. If their critical mass might be m- much reduced, but it is probably fair to say that Labour are in worse shape. Isn't it? I mean, looking. I mean, I know that you know we're all within the margin of error here, but they seem to be a a point or two (laughs) behind uh, behind the sock Dems. And I I, I dug into the 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 numbers underneath the 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 poll last week, and the Social Democrats voters are more urban. They're younger. They get they get zero percent in Connacht Ulster. Yeah, yeah. So they're not going to get any seats in Connacht. You, you, uh, look, you, would, you would have said they weren't <laughs> going to get number, any, no. any seats in Cork no, South But they do but have a younger, you know, they seem like a younger, fresher version of what Labour has been trying to offer, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and there it is. <laughs> um, well, that's why they should merge. You get the younger voters go after the Social Democrats and the older voters that vote for Labour guys Angeles, and everyone's happy, yeah. you know? 
Okay, well, a last question on that. Maybe you didn't ask her, uh, ask her this. Whatever about a merger, even some kind of a, an electoral acknowledgement, alliance, you know, there's only one or two places, and you mentioned one of them, Herky and O'Callaghan is, where they're going head-to-head with sitting TDs. What, in the same tra- transfer, like an, an official yeah. or quasi-official exactly. transfer? Exactly, some, some sort of an transfer left yeah, to, maxi- to, to maximise what you might call the social democratic vote, I mean, no? I'd be surprised. There seems, be, there seems to be a good degree of antipathy, particularly from the social democrat side to, towards Labour, who just kind of think that the only they, party they, that would benefit would, from that would be Labour. They and would see, they would consider their own brand compromised if they're totally. saying, oh, give, give Labour the second preference there. There's, that's zero chance of that I yeah. Think. Okay. All right. So every Friday at uh, this time, we uh, pick an article that took our fancy uh, over the course of the week from irishtimes.com. Cormac, you were looking at a piece about the Irish ambassador's, to my eyes, rather palatial residence in Washington, but not palatial enough. Well, yeah, uh, Jack Power had a piece on Monday uh, where he, he got his hands on some of the, the internal Department of Foreign Affairs deliberations in, about replacing the ambassador's residence in Washington. And uh, the, the old one has gone on the market for... Uh, for $8 million now, uh, 7.3 million euros. And the new ambassador's residence was bought for for uh, twelve million dollars, and it's 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 larger. It's not. It's got nine bedrooms. You know, it's 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 a it's a much uh, fancier uh, residence, history. or so it seems. I mean, it's it the the, the old one wasn't. Nine bedrooms in your history. Don't, the old one wasn't bad itself. It had it had uh, ten bathrooms and seven fireplaces. A, 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 another house on the street is, was was uh, was bought by by uh, Amazon boss Jeff Bezos. I, I've been I've been in the place. I mean, it, it probably had an old, uh, maybe a, a a kind of a faded stately home sort of a, a look about it. And that was one of the, the, the criticisms in the internal documents was it, it was, quote, very dated. Uh, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't you, a bad house. describe a bad it in house. the style of the Irish Times property supplement circa 2007? <laughs> oh, in <laughs> need of polishing in some some areas, but a, a, a generously a, proportioned. Like are we yeah. talking, you know, sort of frayed carpets, you know, stained wallpaper? Yeah, yeah maybe. And the, the internal layout wouldn't be maybe what they they would want for for hosting Irish American politicians and and singing Danny Boy for half the nights. And is how, surely, how surely I imagine fa- these uh, as far exactly go. what you want for that. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, no. It, the, the decision has been taken. The, the new residence has been has been bought. Uh, but very very interesting to see what the what the uh, mandarins at Ivy House made of made of the old uh, the old the old residence. Right. Uh, the the article I picked was uh, on IrishTimes.com on Thursday, and it's the CSO from time to time upgrade the basket of consumer goods that that it looks at uh, in order to judge how inflation is going. It's always very interesting down the years. You know, way back when they started it, there would have been all kinds of things like you know, you know, yokes for cleaning your pipe or bicycle clips or lard, paper for lard for cooking, yeah. carbon paper for cooking, carbon paper for all all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they uh, they brought it up to date. So they, it's always interesting to see what they get rid of as well as what they join. So MP4 players are gone, I think. Yeah. Oh, they've got. Yeah, there's one somewhere. There's one somewhere in the back of a drawer somewhere in, 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 my, in my house. Yeah. All right. And I'm, the same with the digital camera. You know, that's that's uh, that, that's also there. Um, uh, wireless headphones are in. I uh, would have thought they would have been in. Would have been in a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, Although, have you no- have you noticed that the the, the wire full headphone is making a comeback. Yeah, there's a kind of retro... There's a retro thing, thing including, must there. be said, in absentia, the Irish Times political editor still has his wire full headphones. But he's not... Doggedly. He, it's not for fashion he, reasons, No, though. he's naturally he's retro. He's just cheap. Everything about him is retro <laughs> and cheap. Okay, you know? somebody that loses gloves on a train every day, I am not getting those wireless headphones. It, it, you know, I'm, instantly I would lose one or both. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I don't know, maybe I'm more suited to the old CSO index. But. Yeah, rather grimly for um, for our profession, one of the things that's, that's gone out is uh, newspaper ads. 
Uh, they're not judged anymore. There was one thing I was wondering. I was walking into work today, and as always, the uh, the, the streets of Dublin were perfumed with the heady smell of uh, marijuana uh, of on. people going to work. You know, getting their heads ready. Yeah. None of them <laughs> heading for the Irish <laughs> didn't, Times. Didn't feature on the CSO there, list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no sign of it in the CSO register. And we hear, you know, well, cocaine you, is everywhere. Why isn't it there? The sign of the Times. I mean, I'd say the old school soap bar kind of uh, cannabis resin might have gone out and been replaced by some hydroponic, uh, chemically calibrated, mind blowing substance. It sounds to me like. You know exactly what you're talking about there, Jack. What did you choose? Uh, oh, Jesus, okay. Uh, this is a lot less fun. <laughs> Nuclear war. No, uh, I I, ch- I chose uh, Naomi O'Leary, our Europe correspondent's piece on Thursday of this week, looking at the uh, the remarks by um, Donald Trump about, you know, how he would effectively encourage uh, Vladimir Putin to attack any NATO member that didn't... Um, Keep up with its with its uh, defense spending commitments, which is like a classic Trump, you know. Uh, which he actually told it, them, so they knew about yeah, it already because yeah. this was he was describing what I mean, he had it, said to them. Yeah, in, in so, insofar uh, as as kind of a, a, an evolved Trump foreign policy can be said to exist, it's it's classically in that that frame of you know viewing things as zero sum, almost a kind of mercantilist approach of like you know did did you pay your bills and if not then you know our our uh, our security blanket is is ripped away, which is the the phrase that Naomi used to describe the the prospect of this. But I think in the in the context of you know both the Taoiseach and the Tanishta being in Munich for the security conference for the first time in the context of this morning's news about Alexei Navalny dying, the ongoing uh, war in Ukraine, it just feeds into this broader consideration that we've been having in the paper and, you know, everyone in Europe has been having and we've had in this podcast several times, a broader consideration of what exactly is the current kind of European security stance and what are the kind of outworkings of that for, in our context, small neutral, small neutral countries, but where, what does it all mean? Um, and there where are very they, few small neutral countries in Ireland now. There's fewer neutral countries than there used to be in Europe. And I find it interesting in the neutral. I find it interesting in the in you know in the coverage that that the question of the EU and the question of NATO become increasingly blurred or almost yeah. used interchangeably. And I wonder what that means. And one, and one interesting thing that it, it wasn't it wasn't in the Irish Times, but um, I read this week that. Uh, there's a move to to have a, a European Commissioner for Defence apparently underway, which is favoured by mm. Ursula von der Leyen, which is interesting as well. And it wouldn't be a kind of well, you know give that one to Ireland anyway. No, they wouldn't. But it, it would it wouldn't necessarily be a kind of coordinating military role or anything like that. Like you're not about to create some some kind of European super army. Um, but it would be. A, a logistics person who would kind of look, oh, you know, do we have enough bullet factories for if and when the, the shooting war starts? You know, what are our strategic vulnerabilities when it comes to the defense? The only underlying reality is that even if Donald Trump doesn't win, which, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with that, that there are broader underlying trends that the United States is moving towards a much more isolationist and, and, posture and, 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 and yeah. the post-war uh, dispensation seems to be coming to an end. Yeah, and that, and that dispensation was always, you know, in broad strokes, European political harmony or at least common enterprise underpinned by American military might and something about that is shifting and what comes next you know TBC but I suppose that's what they're one, what they're uh, one thing that for struck today. me was uh, despite his somewhat encouraging remarks uh, towards uh, Vladimir Putin uh, the, the Trump remarks that is uh, Putin has apparently backed Joe Biden uh, to be the the, uh, the as his preferred what, the uh, uh, no as his as his preferred uh, winner in the election. Uh, do you, do you believe he, him, Cormac? I presume well, that's an argument made in good faith. Yeah, you know this is the thing. Uh, he he seems to say, say think he'd be more reliable. But yes, I mean that that sort of an intervention uh, which from from Putin would have to be uh, looked at with some skepticism. But uh, certainly uh, on the surface, Trump's uh, remarks didn't do him any favors with with Vlad. We'll leave you with that shocking revelation that Vladimir Putin sometimes lies. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at 
that for the weekend. Thanks uh, so much to Jack and to Cormac for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll be back after that. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. See you soon. 